Welcome to the LTC University Podcast, empowering and educating across the great state of South Carolina. Here we go. Welcome to the LTC University Podcast. My name is Jamie Preston, and today we're going to be talking to Lauren Pointer. She's a clinical social worker for SC House Calls and does so many different things, uh, helps patients, works with our providers, and um, does so many things for SC House Calls. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, nice to be here. Absolutely. Um, well, it is Social Worker Month, uh, the, the time of the year that we honor social workers and what they do and kind of how they serve our communities. I remember at, at an early age, I think back in junior high, I remember thinking, yeah, I want to be a social worker. Um, just because I wanted to help people. And that's when I think of social workers, that's what I think. Social workers help people. Um, I know a lot of people have the uh, image, you know, with the social workers, they're taking kids away from children or, or taking yes. children away from their parents and um, all those, you know, things that, that also are part of that job, but not taking kids away from their parents. But you know what I'm talking about, you know, but uh, in my head, I, I've just always thought, man, social workers are there to really help people with certain issues, certain problems. And today I want you to give us kind of, let's get that 40,000 foot view of what social workers do. Um, and then we'll get into specific stuff. Um, and then I want to also talk about kind of what you do at SC house calls as a clinical social worker, um, and the psychotherapy aspect that you, you're doing. And then also I want to get into something cause you spoke at our <laughs> LTC, um, university community leadership assembly this last Monday and you talked about self-care. So I want to get into a little bit of the self-care as well for people. So give us that 40,000 foot view of what social workers do. Well, thank you. That's a, that was a beautiful introduction, Jamie. And I didn't know that you had aspired to be a social worker at some point. So ago. it's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late. Um, we are such a multifaceted profession. You're right. A lot of people think about social work and that first image that comes to mind is um, baby snatcher, right? Um, the thought is always that, you know, we work in DSS settings and we do resources, but it's so much more than that, so much more multifaceted. And it has evolved over the years from what used to be known as the, the do-gooder um, society. We, we don't necessarily focus on that part of it um, anymore because it's a lot more complex. We're in hospitals, primary care settings like this one, hospice and palliative care. Um, you see state and government, you know, you have forensic social workers who do sure. things um, specific to law, veteran affairs, um, you know, private practice for people like me. I, I do independent practice with psychotherapy, counseling couples and individuals. So, you know, there's three aspects of social work and that's a micro level, a macro level and a meso level. So individuals, um, groups and organizations. And so, um, you know, there's so there's so many things that we do and we operate and function on our six core values, which is service, social justice, dignity and worth of a person, importance of human relationships, integrity and competence. Mm. 
And so that, um, and I guess in a broader nutshell, is who we are and what we do. And in the process of that, we empower people. We sure. empower people because this is a profession that is essentially, it, it's not about us. It's about us powering pe- empowering people to use those interpersonal tools to be the best that they could be. So when we transition out of their lives, they're able to sustain on their own using their own inner tools and skills that we have either guided them on um, taught them in some type of way or reminded them that they were there yeah. in the first place. Absolutely. Um, what, what kind of types of social worker have you, social work have you done in the past? So my background includes hospice and palliative care. I've worked in school systems, I worked with grant programs mm-hmm. and, um, of course, I do independent practice, so um, I've done pretty much some of everything <laughs> when yeah. it comes to social work. Right, um, and I might have even missed some things. Let me think. Let me think. Um, hospice, palliative care, home health, mm-hmm. school systems, grant programs. Yeah, and so that's exposed me into <laughs> a lot of areas. Yeah. And right now, I do independent. Um, independent counseling, like I said, with individuals, um, married couples, um, intimate relationships. And I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's my passion for sure. Um, I'm most familiar with the, the hospice and palliative care social work aspect because I have worked in hospice and palliative care. Um, give us kind of that, you know, let's zero in a little bit more on social work and healthcare and how that functions kind of what kind of things are you looking to do which i know it's i know it's a wide variety um depending on where what setting you're in whether it's a hospital hospice and palliative care primary care all those different things but give us kind of a little bit of an overview of what healthcare social work looks like healthcare social worker um gosh and this is such a, a broad topic as well we're not only helping with resources and making those um, connections to things. We're sitting down with families and having some of those very hard conversations, maybe even about what end of life decisions, Mm -hmm. right? We think about advanced care planning. We think about um, being able to provide resources as far as living arrangements, because that is another one that comes up a lot when it comes to placement or getting extra help and support for caregivers in the home, connecting to things um, like that when it comes to communication and pretty much being maybe a liaison between the healthcare professional and the patient and the family. That is another big aspect of, of what we do when it comes to the healthcare part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it is supplies and equipment, there's areas like that that we work in and sometimes it can even intersect at other times with other professions but it's an interdisciplinary approach to patient care sure i guess so to speak so we joined the interdisciplinary team and we um i would say kind of are an extension of the treatment and services that the you know provider is is having for the patient mm-hmm. absolutely um and you talked about hospice and palliative care. That's obviously something I know SC House Calls works with um, a lot of hospice patients as a part of that. You know, give us a you know a, an overview of what that's like 
Um, some of it you just covered, but give us a specific overview of kind of what uh, a social worker might do in hospice and palliative care. So a big part of that is assessment um, and a lot of interventions. It's a lot more support as far as being that counselor because you are with somebody at a very intimate stage mm -hmm. of their life. They're entering um, into that last part of their life. And so um, I've done so much in that area specifically. I've even um, been invited to countless funerals to speak sure. for patients. You're counseling that patient. You're working directly with that family to make sure that arrangements are in place, to make sure that wishes are being honored to make sure that there is um, a comfortable space for transitioning into um, the, uh, the next phase of life, whatever that may be for the patient, um, allowing them to engage in life review and talk about what life has been like for them and how they wanna be remembered. A big part of that is how they would like to be remembered and how they like for things to be carried out. And so a big part of that looks like engaging that family and support system, or if they don't have a support system, connecting them to some type of support system. And a lot of times, you know, in hospice and palliative care, you as the care team become that support system for mm -hmm. them. You become that advocate. And that to me is what that arena, it looks like for social workers in that field. And I loved every bit of it. Um, fun fact, I actually said, starting out in social work, I was like, I would never do hospice and palliative care. <laughs> and then you kind of laugh about what you say you'd never do. And I'm a very spiritual person. So, um, on a spiritual level, it's like, you know, God is kind of laughing at you about what you say you won't do. Sure. And <laughs> I, I remember uh, being approached by my mentor and a couple of my colleagues in the field that said, Lauren, you sure you don't want to do hospice and palliative care? I think you'd be great at it. And so I'm looking at them at, with the side eye like, no, I'm absolutely not going to do that. It's not my thing. My nerves are bad. I'd be horrible at it. And um at the time, I was actually looking to transition into another area of social work. And so I had applied for all of these places that I was well qualified for. I had, you know, helped with grant programs and done all these things. And I was like, I'm going to, um, you know, just throw this out there. I'm pretty sure that, you know, this is not going to go through, but at least I'll look like I was trying to do it. And ironic <laughs> enough, ironic enough, that was it was the hospice and a palliative care organization that reached out to me first before anybody else and i had never even had experience in that area and ended up doing it for about four or five years absolutely loved it and yeah. it really it really empowered me so um in a lot of aspects they in i guess in hospice and palliative care they actually pushed me even mm. more so into my purpose doing that and help me more than I probably help them. I say sure. at times they may not agree, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> they help me more than they probably know. So yeah. it was very fulfilling to do that. Yeah. I'll never forget when I worked for hospice as well, when you would tell somebody, you know, that you work for hospice, they would always turn their head at a 45 degree angle and say, Oh, I could never do that. <laughs> and yes. that's what everybody thinks. 
Um, but man, you, you'd be surprised how rewarding it is and how you're, it's tough. There's definitely, you know, um, a kind of a, a heavy side to it, but it's so rewarding. And so, um, just, you really get to help people and families and, and it is such a rewarding job. So thanks for all the work you've done in, in hospice care. Um, Absolutely. Let's let's break into kind of what you do specifically as a social worker at SC House Calls and, and, and give us a kind of um, overview of that. Yeah, as of right now, I've been doing a plethora of different things as far as social work goes with helping to navigate um, the staff that we already have here and um, understanding how we kind of connect with other partners because we're in a very unique situation here here um, at SC House Calls, where we can provide those um, resources and, you know, extensions of support, um, communication, again, be in that liaison role between that provider, that patient, and that family as far as connecting all of the dots um, with services and, and resources in the community. Um, so I've been helping out with um, a lot of case consultation about, okay, how should we handle this and how should we move forward with this? Is this a report, um, you know, maybe even to adult protective services or mm -hmm. what can we do about um, helping this patient get, you know, an advanced directive in place and, you know, doing things like that. So, um, but one of my big focuses is on um, the telemental health because, again, I do do psychotherapy. I am a psychotherapist. And so um, working with the psych nurse practitioners mm -hmm. and, and coordinating um, a system to be able to provide the telemental health services as an extension of the treatment that they are providing to the patients. Um, obviously right now is a time where we are seeing how mental health has had such a huge impact on our world. And it's not that it never existed, mm -hmm. but the situation that we've been in with the pandemic has brought a lot of it to the surface for many people. Sure. And that is where we're in a situation now at SC House Calls to be able to provide those services because, you know, mental health professionals, even in the community, are essentially overwhelmed with an influx of, you know, cases and families. Yeah. And while that's a good thing, um, there's a lot of complexity that comes into um, healing a person. So when you're responsible for a person's mind and their mental health, everything um, flows from what goes on in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Whether you think you can or think you can't, you're absolutely right in whatever way that that means. So as of right now, I'm in a place with SC House Calls to be able to provide and extend that service as far as telemental health goes. And the um, social worker part of me, of me is also able to help and um, assist in any way I can with the other teammates and team members who may have questions about case consultation when it comes to, you know, scenarios that pop up in the field. Um, I, I definitely commend our nurse practitioners. They are really out there doing an amazing job and they're being faced with so many challenges that we're able to um, assist them with on, on their journey to, to help our patients out there. Yeah. And so for, you know, people listening to this podcast, what is a typical 
kind of case look like for a patient of SC house calls that needs that mental health um, help? You know, what is it, what does it typically look like? Obviously, I, I think you're right too. These problems have always been there. Mm -hmm. 2020 and now into 2021 really revealed those problems and kind of put a light on them, which in a sense is great because now you can address them. They're a little easier to address, but I'm sure there's an overwhelming amount of, you know, work to do. So kind of give us that kind of a typical scenario. A typical scenario that I've found um, here recently is where there have been um, multiple deaths with mm. one of our patients. So multiple deaths, a lot of grief and bereavement. Yeah. Um, you know, older adults, you know, it's not always that way, but most of the population that we serve are older adults. And so um, you think about that patient that may be, uh, you know, 70 or 72 who's lost multiple family members whether it's just to um, the pandemic or other health issues and then they're also isolated you know living at home alone not able to see family as much you know maybe feeling a little bit anxious seeping into a little bit of depression there and um you know health is kind of going downhill because life as they've known it for the past 70 years has completely changed, mm -hmm. completely changed towards a part of their lives where they should be able to focus more on enjoying the fruits of, of their labor from life. They're experiencing a traumatic event. Sure. Um, and so that patient, grief, bereavement, anxiety, depression, multiple issues to address. And so being able to provide that telemental health and that um, support and that connection to walk them through that because talking to somebody makes a difference. Yeah. Right. But even it more does. so on a clinical level to help you not only talk about the situation, but actually be solution focused about mm. um, someone getting to their place of healing. Yeah. So typically that that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of things. We're seeing increases um, and that's across really many ages, 18 and 18 and older. Um, like I mentioned um, on Monday, we're seeing that increase of anxiety, depression. Those are two very big ones. We're seeing a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I say we, I'm talking about us that are, you know, providing um, mental health services. So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of trauma. We have a, a lot of folks who are, I uh, mean, we have suicidal ideation. That's mm. a very big one that has been quite a trend. That's huge. Yeah. Right. It's huge. And, you know, suicidal ideation is not necessarily having a plan for suicide. But if those thoughts are, are there, that is something to address, especially when you pair that with depression and anxiety mm. that already comes with a lot of those features. Yeah, for sure. Um you know, I think a lot of people are a little skeptical about telehealth, um, you know, especially for mental health. But I, you think of services like BetterHelp, it is, they've blown up. You know, this, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you don't know what BetterHelp is, um, it is basically an online um, virtual counseling service that you can do. It's, it's, it's supposed to be cheaper. Um, 
but those those services have kind of blown up in this last year. It's on every podcast. There's a commercial for BetterHelp that I listen to. It's like there's so <laughs> many different things. Um, give people an idea what it's like and how it works with telehealth um, when it comes to counseling and psychotherapy. Well, um, I have been able, because I am in a situation where I can provide those telehealth services and being able to work for a platform um, that provides those services is amazing because there are folks who would not normally want to go in the office and go through the shame and stigma of what it means to get mental health help um, who can benefit from a service um, through telemental health. Mm -hmm. Right. They may be a little bit more receptive to speaking to someone through that means, especially when we think about where we are today with technology. Sure. A lot of people are using it. And so it has been tremendous. And I would say right now I I have about 50 that I see telehealth. And that's not just one age range, right. you know, that's ranging between the ages of 20 up to 67. Right. So there are many people who are gaining support through that. And then when we think about restrictions and how those things are kind of fluctuating as far as the pandemic of, you know, where you can go and what offices are open and, and who mm -hmm. are not, many people are being able to benefit um, with getting mental health services, um, especially if offices have closed down. There are some mental health um, facilities that have closed down in private practice settings and you know, to be able to get that service online is a way for people to continue to aggressively work towards their mental health, even if they can't go to that setting. So it's very beneficial. And I'm certified in telemental health nice. um, and trauma. Yeah, and, and trauma as well. So for me, it has been a great transition to be able to kind of put those skills to work and connect with uh, patients from all over. Yeah, and what I love about telehealth, it's it's provided you guys a platform where you can actually serve and help more people versus a traditional clinical setting where somebody's coming into your office, they sit in a waiting room, and then you see that person, and then that person go. You know, it's it's just opened up the door to really reach and help more people. Yes. I would yeah. certainly agree. And it's always kind of been there, but I mm -hmm. think it's one of those things that is utilized on such a greater level sure. for good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the last part of this podcast, uh, you spoke at our CLA uh, Community Leadership Assembly on Monday. Give us some of those because part of, I'm sure, what you prescribe to people is self-care. Um type of, uh, you know, things that they can do to help themselves and give us some of those things you were talking about on Monday as we close. Yeah, self-care is so important. We're giving out so much to other people every single day, especially us in, in the healthcare field in, at a time like this. And I recommend or prescribe it, as you would say, mm -hmm. um, therapy, knowing your boundaries, Right. Being in touch with your internal reservoir and knowing what th things trigger you when you feel like you're about to get down and grogged out. Do you need to pour back more time into yourself? Do you need to t take that walk outside? Do you need to take the scenic route home? Is it time to go and, um, you know, just have meditation time? Mm hmm. 
what is it that you need to do? Is it that you're saying yes too much and that you're not saying no when you need to, yeah. right? That, you know, boundaries is a big one. That That's one of the biggest ones that I have to address is, is boundaries. Mm. Um, and so um, caring for yourself means knowing exactly what it is that you need when you are running on empty or when you're getting close to running on empty, how do you re- rebound yourself? When is it time to start pouring some of that energy and advocacy that you pour into everyone else back into yourself? You cannot pour from an empty cup, and many of us do it. And I think that um, you can easily get used to and immune to um, running on empty that you don't even know when it has hit you. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's so important, and it's been so pushed lately to engage and be involved in um, self-care in whatever ways that means um, to us. Yeah. Reading a book, watching a TV show that's positive and not the news. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Overindulging in the news, I should say. And and you see that. I I, I see, especially older people, they, they're kind of glued to the news. I remember back at early last year when the pandemic started, you know, it was on TV and, and everybody wants to know what's going on. But I found myself, I felt my anxiety raising. Um, hearing that, and I was constantly watching to see what was going on next, see how many people were infected, how many people had died, and I and I had to pull back and say, you know what? Nope, I'm going to be informed. You know, there's nothing wrong with being informed, but when you overindulge in that and and you, you just get such a steady stream of that, man, it really can affect you. Um, and I had to back away and say, you know what, I'm only going to watch the news a couple times a week here or two or three times and, and just to, just so I stay informed but not let it overwhelm me. Absolutely. That overstimulation, it impacts your sleep. And, you know, that was another big thing that I brought up on Monday is sleep. Yeah. You know, not getting that sleep has a huge impact on your mental health. And when you're watching traumatic events like that over and over again on the news, you can rest assured that there's going to be some interruptions in those sleep patterns. Yeah. And, and I think that's a key thing because I, I hear people sometimes, you know, they brag about how much they work, which, which, and I've done that myself. I've, I've said those type of things. Um, and I'm more of in a creative role where I'm having to create um, content and video and, and graphic design and, and podcasting and all those things. And if I can tell when I don't get enough rest, um, my creativity drops. Mm-hmm. When, when I have my days off, when I take and, – and there's sometimes you just have to work more and there's – but that shouldn't be the norm. It should be ebb and flow. Yeah. Um, but when I get my rest and I get those days off where I'm not thinking about work, not thinking about those things, I am 10 times more creative and 10 times more productive when I when I have those times off. Um, and it's just it's crucial. And, and I see the benefit now after I got got through that part of my life where where I just went all out, never stopped. Um, and I see how vital it is to to what I do and, and, and how I work. So I think it's huge is just getting that rest, taking those days off. Um, it's, it's crucial. It's not a, it's honestly, it's not a badge of honor to never take any time off. It's the opposite. Yeah. The absolute opposite or working at your desk and eating lunch at the same time Mm. as a habit, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. Right. (laughs) 
and we've all, we've all been, you know, a victim of that, right? Sure. Sitting there and, you know, getting so engulfed and so involved and we're thinking it's great. And, you know, meanwhile, we're our quality of life has just gone downhill because you're so overburdened with that. Right. And um, you're always at your desk or you're mm-hmm. always, you know, engaged in so many things that pull energy from you sure. and, and doesn't give it back. And so you're absolutely right. Taking that time off matters. Yeah. It matters. Lauren, thanks so much for what you're doing at SC House Calls and how you're able to serve, you know, that those wonderful patients and people and the staff and and everybody that you're able to help thanks for all you do and and it's like i said at the beginning it's social worker month we celebrate you and and your co-workers that serve and um you guys do amazing work and uh it's very admirable and uh should be celebrated thank you so much and yes Happy Social Work Month to every social worker, every aspiring social worker. Um, You guys are amazing, complete rock stars. And my hope and wish is that you continue to be amazing trailblazers for the community. Sure. Lauren, have a great day. And uh, we'll talk to you on another podcast soon. Thank you. Just a couple of announcements. Every single month on the first Monday of the month, we have an event called the Community Leadership Assembly. You are invited, especially if you're an assisted living administrator or skilled facility administrator and a social worker. You can earn up to three CEU credits. At this event, you'll hear from a couple different speakers, and we're going to provide lunch for only $10. You don't want to miss it. So make sure you come to 1626 on Main in Columbia, South Carolina. You won't regret Also, if you'd be so kind, to write a review for the LTC University podcast, give us a five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. We'd love for you to check us out on social media. You can go find us at LTC University on much. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Let's continue to learn together. Have a great day.